It's not just by fate or chance, right? There's a God, and that God is sovereign, and in his sovereignty, he's omniscient and omnipotent. Ever thought about what if he wasn't one or the other? What would it look like if God wasn't omnipotent but knew everything? Right? It would change things, wouldn't it? And what if he was omnipotent but didn't know everything? Uh, recently, I was interacting with, uh, you know, a story with, that, with regard to, to um, Greek mythology. And there was a lesson in one of the stories that was communicated to one of the, the, the uh, characters about the gods. Their gods didn't know everything. And there were certain things that demigods knew that the gods didn't know. And what he was being told was, be really, really careful. So think through this illustration, right? There's something that you know knows something you don't. It causes fear. And when that something is smaller than you, what's the natural reaction? What do you do when you see a bug on the floor? So be really careful. You ever thought about that? What if we had a God that knew everything, wasn't all powerful? What if we had a God that was all powerful, didn't know everything? You realize what that would look like? This is why the sovereignty of God is uh, so important. We're going to look at Psalm 31. And part of what I want us to see today is rest for the heart of a shepherd. And what actually is the source of that rest? And I want to make a particular, really poignant point for us if we're going to consider ministering. I want to read opening section, and then I want to read the ending section of this psalm. And then we'll kind of walk through the whole thing together. So the opening section, and you, O Lord, do I take refuge. That's a statement of will, right? We can read, actually, and we will read throughout this psalm that that's not like he's saying, yep, yeah, here it is. This is my constant state, right? So this is a decision of the will. This is what he's saying at the beginning. I'm doing this. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. Anybody ever hear those words in song before? And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. Ever heard those words before? You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. Go to the end of the psalm. Verse 23 says, Love the Lord, all you his saints. It's a call. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. I think if we were to get below the surface in conversation with those who are specifically employed in ministry, that we would regularly hear that weariness is a factor of life. In fact, there should be a level of expectation there, right? When we, as temporal and broken, engage in that which is supernatural. Thankfully, God has the resources for all of that, but we actually should expect that then when that's what we're doing, our own resources are depleted. If you do ministry with the heart of a minister, if you have the, the heart of a shepherd, 
there should be the, the natural understanding that when I'm done shepherding, tired. There's challenges that come with that. There are pressures that come with that. And there are all kinds of ways that people attempt to, to deal with that or if what we might call stress or might then be interpreted or understood as the response to that stress or anxiety. And friends, there's an awful lot of people in ministry today that are trying to find ways to survive doing ministry that I think actually are contrary to what we hear in this psalm. This actually is a psalm that is greatly used throughout all of the Bible in what we would consider to be some of life's most stressful situations. How do I mean? Well, Jonah was in a stressful situation, wasn't he? And actually, in Jonah 2.8, he writes, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, quoting Psalm 31.6. Jeremiah's situation was unbelievably stressful, maybe as we studied through the book, the most, the most stressful of any minister, understanding what kind of responses he was going to get, understanding the length of his tenure that seemed to be marked from the human measurement with futility, but over and over and over again, Jeremiah 6, 25, 23, 20, 10, 46, 5, 49, 29, and then again in Lamentations 2 and 22, he quotes this psalm when he says, there is terror on every side. The psalmist himself, maybe the same author, Psalm 71 quotes this Psalm 31, verses 1 through 3, but as I pointed out, maybe most significantly, Jesus in Luke 23, 46, prayed, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, quoting Psalm 31. So I would say, based upon the usage of characters in the Scripture, that there is something to using Psalm 31 with regard to finding myself in stress-filled scenarios and how I ought to respond. And that's really what I want us to consider because I think this psalm, as we actually see the workings of truth in the heart of the psalmist, is intended to help us find a process by which we take truth that we know well, but actually apply it to our own heart in a way that brings us rest. Where do you find rest? It doesn't mean that we shouldn't have hobbies. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't have things that actually help us in the everyday life to, to lower our heart rate, maybe even lower your blood pressure. Like, none of those things. But if we are finding alternatives to God's plan for rest and ministry, you won't actually find the kind of rest that God intends for a shepherd to have. And we actually see the author here work through the process of thinking with determination of will in light of some truth that, that he wrestled with, the end of the psalm, he actually points out, I had said, verse 22, in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight. There was something going on in his life. There was a stressful situation that his thinking actually was, okay, God, you can't see me. And so this psalm is actually about him thinking through truth, speaking it to his own heart in light of, I can't be thinking that way. And so that's what I kind of want us to wrestle through today. How and where should the minister 
or the shepherd find rest for his heart. And I would tell you this, the remedy, I believe, as pointed out in this psalm, is to trust in the personal knowledge of your sovereign Lord. That sounds really simple, but let me explain it to you. I say it intentionally this way. It is one thing to know theologically that God is sovereign. On the other hand, it is one thing to have an emotional feeling about God without knowledge of who he really is. It's my experience in ministry that neither of those sustain a person when the trials of life come. Neither of these sustain the minister of God when the trials of ministry come. Some kind of an emotional feeling about God without knowledge of who he actually is, what he actually does, who he is is actually um, working in, in whose lives, in what ways, will not give you rest because the emotions will wax and wane. But I'm telling you, a head knowledge theologically that God somewhere out there is sovereign, but my personal relationship with him isn't such that I know him as the psalmist says that you're my God, you're my refuge, you're my hope, you are my rock and my redeemer. You see, there's a personal side to this. And so I want us to get that statement. The remedy for the weariness of heart or being overcome by care, is to trust in the personal knowledge of your sovereign Lord. And I want us to see just several things. Why is this important? One, simply, a life lived for God in a fallen world is beset by stress. There's tensions. It's just the reality. You say, man, if I could just get this all figured out to the place that I could live and there's no tension... Welcome to heaven. But I see no indications that any of us are going to live in that kind of scenario before then. The reality is we live in a fallen world under a curse, and it is both within and without. Sometimes the greatest stress in life is the war that rages within me. Why do I think that way? Somehow, I think, because of the proliferation of things like health and wealth and prosperity gospel, we live with this thought that there are triggers in which I can live and, and have sealed on my face a permanent smile. Like that, if I'm really spiritual, it just, it just comes like it's fixed. Friends, God didn't make you that way. God created you to live in, in, as an image bearer with real emotions. Sorrow is a gift of God. Joy is a gift of God. And I want us to see that this psalm, along with other places in Scripture, actually speak to the fact that, that there is going to be tension that we are created to feel. As ministers, to note several things, due to how we are made, our sovereign God made us to minister by giving us emotions so that we genuinely connect to life. One of the biggest 
challenges in ministry is that I feel like I can have greater rest if I disconnect. If I don't let myself feel too much, or I can retract into my little bubble somehow, I can do ministry. And you know what? You don't, because you know what happens? We become bubbles that just bounce off each other rather than lives that God intended relationally to connect and intersect. There really is a dynamic to ministry that exhausts me because God made me not just to have pathos or feeling, but empathy to feel with. And so when you look throughout this psalm, you see that, that there is this clear statement of how we are made and the emotions we feel. In verse 1 and 17, you see there's a real sense of a feeling of, of shame. This statement, there's terror on every side, is very real. Verse 13, David is actually feeling real fear. That's a God-given emotion. I can tell you that there are many meetings. In fact, to this morning that I walked into, and before I walked into those meetings, I had this rising sense of, how is this going to go? That's not just because I'm a sinner, and it's not just because I was meeting with sinners. It actually is a God-given emotion that puts me, if I'll bring it to the sovereignty of God, in a place where I'm going to feel my way into this meeting. That's not sinful. It actually is a way that I connect as human being with human being. Any of you ever have a disobedient animal? Can you think about what your conversations with that disobedient animal have been? Do you realize we spend an awful lot of time with disobedient animals trying to convince ourselves that now you feel the way I want you to feel? And they don't. Fido, you should be so ashamed of yourself. And then when we get the dog, he kind of goes like, there, got it, yeah, yeah. Father doesn't feel ashamed of himself. If you took the very thing he destroyed and gave it back to him and walked out of the room, he'll do exactly the same thing. And when you walk back in, he'll look like he's smiling again. How much time do we actually think through the reality of God-given emotions because God did make us to connect with other people that he gave God-given emotions to? There's an ordinate right use of emotions as image bearers. Unfortunately, as fallen image bearers, we most often use them the wrong way. Verses 9 and 10, you see here that, that David, I believe, is overwhelmed with sorrow. And he expresses it as sighing and grief. And then verse 7, in the midst of that, he's rejoicing and glad. And I think all of what you see is an expression here in poetic form that, that he's an emotional being. Why, why is ministry fraught with stress? Because of the way we're made. At the end of this, I think you see him rightly speaking to all of that when he bursts forth in praise. And he records to himself that he is dealing with a God who is marked by loving kindness. So I think even in the midst of that, you see the speaking the truth of my personal God to my own heart. And so why? Because of how we're made. But secondly, it's amplified due to our brokenness. 
Our sinfulness demands that we regularly have to run to God in dependence. In other words, because of who I am and the way I I end up in my brokenness, interacting in life, it ought to over and over and over again leave me in a place of feeling attention that says, I have to go to God. In a sense, the, 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 the... The reservoir of my own resources as I do ministry, coming to a place where they feel depleted, ought to leave me with this sense, man, I got got to go to God. And when I don't, I will start to try to do ministry out of depleted resources that turns me away from God's resources to now this, this depleted resource. I begin to do more ministry, and I don't mean the word wrong, but in my own flesh. The greater inclination to, to not, not lean on God is in those who don't lean on God. Isn't that interesting? The fact that we are trying to be used of God to do that which is spiritual ought to make us feel the sense of, I can't do this alone. And there's a sense in which that dependence has built into it its own kind of stress. That's not sinful. And so notice that throughout this psalm, what does David do over and over as he recounts either in saying to God, look, this is what these enemies are doing to me, or what was going on in his own soul because of that. He walks through these statements, and you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. And he's He's actually making affirmations. Verse 2, be to me a rock of strength. He affirms, God, you are my rock and my fortress. Verse 5, he commits his spirit, his life, his very being into God's hand. Verse 6, he affirms his trust in the Lord. And and, and in the midst of of dealing with despair that then comes in verses 8 through 13. Then verse 14, here's this affirmation. But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. And what you see is in the midst of the trials that he is facing, he is actually affirming to himself over and over and over again. But here's who my God is. And here's what my God does. And he is in a regular process of realizing I am broken and my God is able. Friends, there's no escaping the fact that if we endeavor to do ministry for God that is eternal, there's going to be a tension in life because of how God intended for us to actually do ministry as beings who are made in his image with emotions and because we are broken. Do you know that that is actually the ground upon which many people say, I'm done with this. Like, I can't, I can't live with that. I, no, that, I, there's got to be less stress in selling cars. Like, I, you know, I'm on grass. I'm good. But ministry? No, 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 no. Like, and the thought is for many people in ministry, I must not be doing it right. Or I must not be called to this. And the reality is, this is what a life of ministry looks like. And you know what? You won't escape it. Because you might walk away from vocational ministry and realize this is what ministry looks like if you're going to be a dad. 
or you're going to be a husband, or you're actually just going to be a believer and, and be in a church, or you're going to be a coworker with somebody else. This is life, friends, and life is for ministry, vocational or not. So secondly, a life lived in a fallen world then must practice the reality that God is our personal refuge. And I use that word practice intentionally. We see a pattern here. My favorite verses from all of the Psalms are found in Psalm 84, 11, and 12. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Verse 12, O Lord of hosts, Blessed is the man that trusts in you. That captures what I, I actually feel like this psalm is trying to accomplish as David is writing it. You see, this is what really requires really knowing the real God in a real way. This psalm shows us that David knew the real God. Just in reading through it, you may not pick up on it, but what he does as he walks through this is he actually enumerates things about God. He is a refuge and shelter. He is righteous and judges rightly. He is a rock of strength. He hears and answers prayer. He's a stronghold and a fortress. He's a source of strength. He is the God of truth. He is marked by loving kindness. He is all-knowing. He is gracious. He is a forgiver. He doesn't cast off and reject permanently. He has unlimited storehouses of goodness for those that fear him, even in the worst of trials. These are all things David says about his God in this psalm. He knew the real God. And I would say to you, to be able to rehearse that kind of truth, this wasn't something that came shockingly upon him in the midst of a trial. And so that's why I use the word practice. Friends, if you're going to minister and find rest for your soul, you actually find it in knowing this God before the test. Before the trial. You will have the trial confirm in your mind the thing you know about your God, but you must know it ahead of time or you won't see it. The very trial that could make you say, wow, God, you are so good without you knowing that your God is good, might leave you in a place of questioning. It may actually leave you saying, what, like, can't you see me? Like, I hidden from your sight. This author knew the real God, not just one of fuzzy feeling. But then secondly, I want you to see, not just did you know the real God, he really knew God. The things that he then speaks about this God are true. They're true not just as things that he would mentally enumerate, but in his mind, he actually says them in ways that he, he speaks them with, with at least anecdotal evidence. as though there's doubt, and this is a test case. What's really beautiful to me is that in the midst of all of this, 
Verse 15, he says, my times are in your hand. Not just time, not just time frames, but in a sense, I think he is capturing this sense that my days, the affairs of my life, your sovereignty actually applies to the details of my life. It applies to my cares. You see, God does have a sovereign plan for all of history. But in the midst of that, he has a caring plan for my place in all of that history. And it's really easy to forget one or the other. And I think part of what the psalmist does here is remind his own heart that the God who can is a God who cares. And it's there that you actually find rest. David's relationship with God, I believe, is a well-traveled two-way street. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 7. I will be... I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul. God, you know me. But then look at verse 14. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. And I know you. And see, here's where rest comes. It's actually in this truth. I know God, and at times that's exactly the message my heart needs for ministry. And then there are times that I am able to turn around and say, and God, you know me. A well-traveled two-way street. And that's why I think this statement I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight but notice what he says, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. This psalm ends with exuberant praise. Not just, oh God, you're good. How great is your goodness, which you have noticed stored up. Didn't pull out of a hat. Magic illusion. You have stored up. It's in your heart that you made provision for this kind of goodness for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. Blessed be the Lord, verse 21. Oh, love the Lord, all you as godly ones. Verse 24, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. David is in weariness. We don't know what the setting of this psalm is. And I think it then gives us opportunity for universal application of if you're feeling these kind of circumstances, that yes, there's real emotion because God made you that way and you're broken in a broken world. But the right answer is that you really know God and understand that this real God really knows you. 
and that you carry out the practice of making him a deep reservoir for your own soul out of which you do ministry. So not just the crisis comes and I feel really bad and whatever, and now I run to God, yes. (laughs) But that you realize the rest actually is going to a reservoir bathing my own heart in the truth of who my God is, that I know him and he knows me, and that that then is the rest that prepares me to shepherd. I believe our good shepherd fully intends for there to be real rest for those he calls to shepherd. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are. Help us to know you. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you actually made us with a sense of satisfaction that comes when we actually really do engage in ministry. There's vulnerability there. There's openness to hurt there. But God, that is how you made us to engage. Real people with real emotion. And yet that emotion unfettered from truth can be so harmful and destructive. And yet connected to truth, it is actually how you made us. So God, I pray, I pray that you would help us to live in a place of finding rest for our hearts. God, I pray that you would help us to then burst forth in praise because we recognize that you really know us and that we can really know you as you really are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.